for my best self. So, anyways, I do believe Lynn is going to go first. So, she's the winner of the wrestling contest. <laughs> I'm an addict. My name's Lynn. Oh wow. Okay. I just came from that meeting downstairs, and I was crying from the circle, from the energy. I was very overwhelmed by the love in the room. Um, yeah, resentment's keeping me from my best self. Uh, it's funny. Um, I got a call from a member who's on the subcommittee for uh, programming, and uh, she's also a very good friend of mine. And she knows me really well. I've been around a while, and she's been around almost as long, and so she knows me really well. And she had to sort of give me a a prelude to why I was going to be speaking on resentments, and uh, it was funny. Anyways, she uh, she sort of gingerly, you know, reminded me that I've had the opportunity to speak lots of times, and I've worked through lots of resentments through my recovery, and. Uh, you know that basically she wanted me to know that that it wasn't about me <laughs> and i said okay and she said so you're good and i said i'm going through some stuff in my life i know why i'm talking about resentments <laughs> um i uh you know it says step 8 and 9 and i'm definitely not there um right now i'm I'm writing a fourth on my anger. <laughs> I've actually never written a fourth on my anger. I've acknowledged my anger. I've walked my anger. I've stuffed my anger. I've fed my anger. I've starved my anger in recovery, but I've never actually written about it. So it's, um, it's gotten me in trouble a few times, and now it's affecting my career. So I definitely, uh, I'm supposed to be on that step. But I do have a lot of experience with Steps 8 and 9. Um, when I came into this program, I was uh, I didn't come here because I wanted to be here. I came here because the person I lived with had a drug problem, and he needed to go to meetings, and I need to make sure that he went. That's how I found N.A. And uh, he didn't stay back then, but I did. And... Uh, I got the message, the message that I needed, and uh, I've been here ever since. I'm very grateful for that. Um, but, you know, I was a very perfect girl. I had the perfect hair. It was very nice and long and straight, and I had the perfect little tiny body. I was nice and tiny and thin, and I was always smiling and always buttoned up And because, God forbid, people should know just how resentful I was and uh, it took me a few years to even start to talk about how much resentment I had and uh, I actually had a professional say to me that it's in here and I've got all this other stuff wrapped around it keeping it in the middle and he said it was going to take me a lot of work to get to the center and uh, by the time I was around five years clean something happened in my recovery that was rather monumental and I got to the center pretty quick. Uh, I was uh, married and divorced in, in recovery and it was a very messy um, ending 
So, of course, I got very in touch with my anger and uh, very in touch with how angry I was at the world. Um, I, I didn't realize back then that part of why I resented things was because of my fear and because of my hurt. Um, I, I, uh, I, I didn't know that it was about my fear. I was so afraid you guys would find out why somebody would leave me. You know, that uh, I, I just wore this stuff and uh, wore it like an armor. And, you know, I, I'm, I've done a lot of, of work, at, but I recently, I've, well, I'm going to talk about what's real, going on present day because, you know, I, I, I'm here because I used... I'm I'm an addict. I uh, I definitely qualified. I remember the first meeting I went to. Uh, the guy I first used any kind of major drug with was inside the room, and I poked my head in and said, "Is this the whatever meeting?" And he said, "Yeah, come on in." You know, and he had this big smile. I hadn't seen him for years, and it was because he was getting clean. Um, but anyways, I, uh, I came as a guest and I stayed and, and uh, I didn't think I had a problem initially. I, I thought I was different. I had a university education. I had a job. I had stuff, you know. So when I listened to people share about their losses and the things they were losing, like their partners and their families, I had all that stuff, so I couldn't relate to that. But when I listened to the women share about feeling empty inside or the self-loathing or the, the, the pain, that's the stuff that helped me stay, the, uh, listening to their heart. And uh, I, I, you know, when I was out there using, I, I was not a... Not a nasty person, but I could get pretty nasty. And one of the things that that I've tried to recover from since I've gotten clean is um, when I got hurt, I would go for people's emotional jugular. I'm not a big girl. I never was a big girl. I never could fight my way out of a paper bag, you know. So I, I found my way to hurt people without actually having to get physical. And... Uh, but when I did that in recovery, I felt like a piece of crap. I felt like I just used. It didn't feel right anymore. And I thought, this is something I really need to change. And oddly enough, you know, uh, as much as I wanted to change that, I didn't really realize how much, how ingrained it was, how, how, um, I call it like a default setting. You know, I grew up in a really dysfunctional, abusive family, and uh, I learned a lot of defensive ways of taking care of myself in that place. And uh, so I, I, I'm just starting to really see some of how that stuff is damaging my life on a, on a whole new level. Um, I'm going to talk about 
what's going on today because that's the stuff that I recognize I have the resent I recognize that I, I needed to talk on this topic. About two years ago, I, I've been working for a place. <laughs> I got a job in a place that I didn't want to work for, but I needed a job. I was 50 years old. I got let go from the federal government, and I needed a job. The one job that I didn't try to apply for, but I had to apply for, because my EI person, my employment insurance person, said, you have to apply for jobs. So I applied for this job just because I had to. I got that job. It's in a field that I didn't want to work in. And uh, I started working there, and within a month, I was already in conflict with people. And it had a lot to do with, one of the things that I'm recognizing today is that if I feel disrespected, if I feel dismissed, if I feel mistreated, I get really angry. <laughs> and uh, in the professional workplace, you're not allowed to express that the way that I know how to. You know, I, I don't mind saying, fuck you. I have done that in the workplace and it doesn't go very well. <laughs> so um, I was trying not to do that here. I've also taken an awful lot of assertiveness courses but, uh, so I, and communication courses, so I get really good with words with people. And uh, that also doesn't go very well because although I'm assertive with my mouth, my body language is very aggressive. <laughs> so it's not coming off assertive. It's like, just do this, you know? And uh, so anyways, I've, there's new legislation in Ontario. It's harassment le legislation. And I said something that somebody didn't like hearing, and I raised my voice an octave. And they filed a harassment complaint against me. I had done all the work for work, you know, the little webinar you do and you do the online test and it tells you you passed, that you understand what harassment is. Um, but I didn't really because I kept banging heads with the HR department about why I was the bad guy. And uh, so they gave me a warning. And then I got a new boss, and he was an untrained professional who knows nothing about my field of work. And he's about 10 years younger than me. So he's a little young upstart. He's a technical writer, knows nothing about information management. So we started to bang heads right from the get-go. And of course, I lost my temper again. Only he didn't know that I, that we should stop talking. And I said, please stop talking. And uh, he wasn't listening, so I stormed out of my office and slammed the door behind me. Um, he went running to HR, and he filed a complaint against me. So, now I'm in really big trouble. I've been a bad girlie. 
and there's a letter in my file. Um, I'm really lucky, um, or I believe I'm higher powered. Uh, I was at a, Ottawa has a thing called, uh, we have a gratitude day celebration every September. It's the anniversary of Ottawa's um, uh, birth of NA. And uh, a friend of mine that I've known since the beginning, he's a professional mediator for government collective agreements and unions and I sat down with him and talked to him about my situation and he said that he could help me. He couldn't come into my work but he could help me outside to help me with what was going on and that was a start you know to try to figure out but I was missing the point because we're, we're not very well people. We hear what we want to hear, right? So I kept missing the point. My little HR lady would say, but it wasn't about your intent. It was about how the other person felt. And I kept thinking, well, geez, like I'm not in control of their feelings. You know, that's what I know. That's what I've learned. It doesn't mean that's how the rest of the world moves. And so I managed to get a whole year without doing anything wrong. And one day I picked one word. Instead of saying, I have uh, really severe asthma to perfume and scent and stuff. And we're supposed to have a scent-free environment where I work. It's the one policy they don't seem to have a zero tolerance for. But um, did you hear the resentment in that? <laughs> um, yeah, and I've let them know that a few times too. Um, I, uh, I used the word, you make me want to puke instead of, I feel nauseous around you. <laughs> and as soon as it was out of my mouth, I went, oh, I'm in trouble again. <laughs> Because it's not professional, you know. And in my mind, I'm going, you guys are already getting a better me. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> but it's still not a good enough me in the professional world. So this time it's strike number three, right? And I'm in a lot of trouble. I'm now on probation. I'm being... Um, I'm Once a month I meet with my manager and tell him oh, I'm beating myself up. <laughs> What I'm truly doing, though, is I'm doing some step work and looking at this stuff. And I'm doing a lot of inter, uh, sort of webinars and stuff with our employee assistance program. And in there, they have a webinar on harassment and bullying. And it made sense to me. It talked regular language. And they had this perfect example of this guy who is in an office and he's a bit of a nerd, wears glasses and, you know, he goes to Comic-Con and he's that guy. And how there's this really charismatic man in this same office who invites him to all the lunches and says, oh, come on, you know, and he makes, we're not going to wear your Superman suit today, just come to lunch, and makes fun of him every time. And... Then there's the question, so is this harassment, is this bullying, or is this just, you know, having fun? How does this guy feel? And I thought, 
well, I've been that guy. Maybe not the geek, but I've been that guy. And it starts to really wear down. It erodes you, your soul. And I got it. I got the message. And then I got a flood of memories. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm 20-some years clean. Where the fuck does this shit come from? Of all the times that I'd been sexually harassed at my work, I'd been assaulted physically at my work. And it was like, where was this policy then? And, oh, I was so angry that I didn't have that to protect me. And that's when I realized I have developed all this. Well, as a good friend of mine once said, Lynn, you don't build walls, you build buildings. These defense mechanisms of, you know, assertive, aggressive talk and, and... I literally cut people off when they're trying to talk to me and, and nip it in the bud or, or I, I over-intellectualize and sort of spin their head around and they, you know, it's mind-fucking, but, you know, just, you know, so they're all of a sudden to blame, right? And, and uh, <clears throat> I realized, like, this is what I do. I, I, I am a bully, not my understanding of a bully but I I do things that are not okay in this new world and they're they're my defects of character it's these are the things that I picked up as that little street kid who wasn't getting taught that she had value and that shouldn't happen to you she got a different message figure out how to protect yourself and I do that in the office, and I don't even know I'm doing it until I get in trouble. Anyway, so that's been very humbling to accept that I'm a bully. Um, it wasn't my idea of what a bully looked like, but I can be a bully. And... Uh, you know, I've done an enormous amount of work on my own abuse from my own past, and that really didn't sit well with me. It was, yeah, it was really eating crow. Anyhow, I'm notorious for being very hard on myself, I'm, and and I, uh, but I started to realize. I've spent years building bridges with people. Now, you know, like people in recovery and people in service meetings and people in, in my, even interacting with my own family. It's like, okay, this is another place where I have to start building bridges. Now, oddly enough, and this is where I can talk about resentments, when I reached out to my support system in Narcotics Anonymous, I wasn't getting the help that I thought I should get. I uh, thought my sponsor was going to be loving and supportive. I thought my friends were going to listen to my bullshit. 
but they didn't give me what I was looking for. And I got angry. I felt hurt. But I was also afraid. I realized I was afraid for the first time in a long time in my recovery. And I thought, well, I have to do something. I can't afford to lose my job. I'm getting too old for that. And I am my breadwinner. So what do I do? Well, I met a man, a professional, at a conflict resolution seminar that I got sent on by work. You know, when he introduced himself at the seminar, he said, I'm an A-type personality, and I sometimes piss people off. Can anybody here relate? And I stuck up my head. And he said, thank you for being honest. We made an instant rapport, and I connected to him through LinkedIn. I said, I'm in trouble. I need help, because that's what you taught me, to ask for help. And he said... I have an hour on Monday. Like, this is a guy who charges hundreds of dollars an hour for his advice. He said, I have an hour on Monday on my lunch. Do you want to have lunch over the phone and tell me what's going on? I said, absolutely. I told him the truth. I told him who I am. I told him my history. And before I got into the problem... I said, I'm 26 years clean. And he said, stop. I said, okay. He said, can we just stop and celebrate that for a minute? It's a total stranger. And I went, okay. I don't feel like celebrating. (laughs) And he said, that's okay. He said, I think it's important and we're going to stop and acknowledge it. He said, I can't imagine what you've overcome to be the girl who says puke. (laughs) He said, I'll bet you you wanted to say you fucking bother me, you and your damn perfume. And I said, well, yes, actually, that's what I do want to say. And I was floored. He said, you didn't do anything wrong. It's not really that big of a deal. He said, they're piling stuff on you here. He said, and I'm going to help you so you can figure out what you do own because you need to stop owning everything here. And I didn't know a lot of real HR rules and regulations like it isn't until you're really in trouble with those people that you actually have to find this stuff out (laughs) and uh, so he helped me he guided me and he said do you know anyone else who works in HR I said well as a matter of fact I have like three or four friends from childhood who are still in my world or have come back through the recovery process have you know we've reconnected and made amends and I've made amends and they're back in my life. And he said, contact them. They'll be able to help you too. So I got a ball team of people who are all professionals in conflict resolution. (laughs) I'm higher powered. I have a God. You know, because not all of us are professionals. We don't all know all these things. So my higher power hooked me up with the people who could help me. He said, 
so I got, I'm getting, I got a uh, bad performance review, a negative, unsatisfactory for the first time in my life ever. And he said, so you can either A, quit your job. How's your, how's your savings account? I started laughing. <laughs> I said, it doesn't exist. And he said, okay. He said, so we have to go over here and keep our job, right? And I said, well, until we find another one? And he said, yes. And he said, so what you need to do is say, thank you for the opportunity for me to learn how to better myself and accept the negative review. And I went, okay, you want me to say that with a smile on my face? (laughs) And he said, no, be yourself. He said, but thank them and tell them that you're excited for the opportunity. And I thought, okay, that's crazy talk. He, and he explained to me that it is, it is an opportunity. I just have to change how I'm looking at it. And uh, what I did from that was get in touch with the EAP people. I met with a counselor. I got a whole bunch of stuff that I'm doing, all these workshops and writing things. And so by the time I went back to work in January after Christmas, when my boss and the HR people were sitting down to confront me to tell me what they wanted me to do, I said, well, while we were off on holidays, I kind of set up an action plan with the EAP people. This is what they suggested. What do you guys think? They like the plan. They don't have to do all the work. They like the plan, and that's what I'm doing. Now, the hard part is, and that's kind of, I guess, where we get into step nine, why I'm not there yet, is I have to sit in a room with each of the individuals who filed a complaint against me at some point, one at a time, not all on the same day either, (laughs) and let them take my inventory. That's what's been suggested to me by this man, and I trust him. He wants to help me. And say nothing until they're finished. Thank them for their feedback and take it to my safe people and only own what I need to own and decide what I want to do with that, how I want to build the bridge. And it's like, wow, that's coming up in June. I'm not looking forward to it, I'll be honest. But I have a feeling it's going to be really good for me. Because <laughs> that's kind of what they did to me in treatment. It's kind of what my sponsor has had to do to me to get me to notice some of my defects of character. It's kind of what my peers have had to tell me in service meetings when I've been too controlling. It's kind of what I learned here. Now, you guys do it with love. Okay? Well, not everybody. <laughs> But one of the things the HR lady said to me is, Lynn, you'll be surprised how forgiving people are. And I said to her, yeah, I got to get to a place where I trust that statement. And that's what I know, I know from this work is what I'm finding is how much I don't trust other people. You know, a few years ago, I looked up the word trust in the Oxford English Dictionary because I'm a little anal like that. 
And I wrote it down, the definition. And that was the first time I realized how much I don't trust when I read the actual definition. I don't trust big time. I want people to trust me. I want them to love me. And I don't even give that. So I'm getting another opportunity to peel that onion and open myself up a little more. And in the meantime, I have been practicing some of the stuff I'm learning. And I feel very uncomfortable. You know, I learned a long time ago in Narcotics Anonymous, comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. I've been comfortable for a while. It shows on my hips. <laughs> so now I'm uncomfortable. I'm very uncomfortable. I'm being vulnerable. One of the things that was suggested to me is let the people I work with know who I really am. Last year I lost my dad. I didn't want them to tell anybody. I have two cats, and okay, I'm a cat person. I don't have children. I have two cats that have very serious medical issues. I got my identity stolen. I had to move out of the place I had lived for 22 years. And I got a harassment complaint filed against me that put me in big trouble, all within six months. That was the end of last year. This year, I've been doing this work, and I took a law course, oddly enough, learning a few things. But um, I think the thing that I, I recognize doing this work is I have resented stuff at work. I've been talking to bosses for a while, especially my immediate boss. But I, since I got there, there's been a lot of things that are very difficult, and I've been asking them to help me have better interactions with my colleagues. I'm the girl who has to say no in the office. I'm a copyright specialist. Okay, I have to tell people, no, you can't do that, that's against the law. No, you can't do that, that's against the law. People don't like to hear that. They want to be able to do what they want. It created a lot of negative dynamics. I asked them to write a policy for me, so I say, read the policy, it says no. Not me. It's not personal. You know, I learned in Narcotics Anonymous, sometimes we have to tell each other things, like at a meeting, you have to say, please stop talking. You know, and stuff like that. I'm just the messenger. It's not me. Well, I have to do that at work too. I have to. I'm the messenger, but it's not me. You know, but people started to take it as me. So there's there was already a negative dynamic happening when I started losing my temper. I just did an inventory on my anger for this workshop. And it said, have you gotten anything positive from your anger other than the negatives, which are alienation, isolation, loneliness, hurt, mistrust? Those are the things that I get out of being angry. You know. But I said, I wrote, I did get one positive. You guys are finally listening. I had to get mad first. And I didn't not say that when I was in the next meeting with my boss. I said, I had to get mad first for you guys to even pay attention to my pain. It was unfortunate. But we're both learning something. They, the HR lady told me that she's never seen anyone actually have their inventory taken and not quit their job. And I thought, 
Yeah. Well, I'm a member of Narcotics Anonymous. I'm, they tell me I need to change. I need to change because when if you don't change in this program, your clean date will. Thanks. We will do the uh, we will do the formal thanks afterwards. Our next speaker is uh, Henri. So. Let's go. I'm an addict. My name's Andre. Um, wow, huge sliver. It's a great way to start. Um, fuck you. Anyway. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I was asked at the last minute to fill in and... Um, Oddly enough, I'd been asked to speak uh, as a French speaker uh, when they were picking speakers, and I'd submitted a tape in English and um, got a call and was offered to speak in French because I know how. Um, but my position was simple. It's like I've recovered in English. My language of N.A. is English. My fear was I was going to stand up here and search the N.A. terminology because I'm also totally type A and I got to do it right, you know, and would you know, probably make a fool of myself. So I said, after talking to a sponsor three times, you know, I don't know how many people I checked in with just to make sure that what I was feeling was okay, that I wasn't going to do it. And I... I'd like to say that I bowed out graciously. Yeah, okay, let's say that. Um, and, you know, and then got this call. So I said yes. I didn't care what the topic was. Um, then I found out that the topic was resentment. And um, so I looked it up. Um, because I do my homework, right? And uh, it's very simple. It means to re-feel something. And uh, since I'm French, and apparently we came up with the word, I should be an authority at it. Um, I still feel shit vividly that I experienced when I was three. And I still have not let it go. All right. Um, <laughs> I just heard a really good sigh, and I really felt that. I... Um, it's difficult to talk about this, I think, without getting into victim mode, and I don't want to do that. Uh, I've been a victim enough in my life, and I've had to actually get to a place where I can acknowledge that um, and then take it to where I am today so that I could be safe with it. You know? Because speaking of the shame that I felt around having been treated the way I had, often would get me stuck there. And if I speak from a place of shame, I can re-injure myself so quickly. And, um, and that's not an option for me anymore today. Um, I keep saying that there are not enough... Okay, so today I say there's not enough Haagen-Dazs ice cream out there to make me feel better about myself <laughs> after I've taken myself down that road. Um, but the reality is, is, is my journey has uh, been an interesting one and keeps, 
getting interesting. Um, I'm um, not going to give you a chronological um, explanation of what's happened, but I'll give you a little bit of, of, of backstory. Um, I'm the youngest of four, in, uh, and here's a pattern, right, of a very highly dysfunctional, violent family. Um, and uh, I fell through the cracks. By the time I came around, there was, a, there was complete um, apathy at, at, at rearing kids. Um, there, were, there was a, a clear sign of effort, but the yelling was so much that nobody can hear a kid, you know. And um, the violence and the aggressions was to such a point that I actually had to scream till I turned blue for people to notice me. And um, I remember feeling something had snapped. I think I was about six or seven. And from that point on, I started throwing things. Everywhere I went, I'd slam doors, I'd throw shit, I'd punch walls. And um, that seemed to be the default. And it made no difference because the yelling was louder, the violence was louder, and everything around me drowned it. Um, so I thought I'd show everybody and I'd hurt me, right? I'm sure you guys understand that one. Um, and I, I, I just took it and ran with it. So I was given license to do anything I wanted because I was invisible. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to try to f explain psychologically what that really means, but what it looked like on the outside was a complete lack of discipline, a complete lack of self-respect, no identity, um, and a desperation to try to cling to something. Um, so uh, that's how I started as a kid, lost, confused, invisible, um, and um, just a series of events of getting myself into all sorts of trouble and getting myself into anything I could so people could notice me. And, um, and it didn't work. You know, I was a, a, a bright kid, um, and I came from a very intelligent family, a very highly functioning family. But, um, you know, there was something just a little off about me. Uh, cute and quirky, but off. And um, it, it took a while, you know, and it actually took me to get into recovery and to get clean and stay clean to start looking at really what the hell that was. I got hit by a car when I was three. I had like 48 stitches around my ear. Today I found out that that is a large part as to why I've been diagnosed with a particular uh, advanced stage of ADHD that made me see things completely different, made me behave completely different as a kid. And that's what made me, one of the things that made me as an oddball from the rest of the group. I was the kind of kid that liked to spin on the ground, the kind of kid that would play a song over and over and over and over. The kid that, you know, his brothers would yell at him, fucking up the records. Um, it, was, it was natural for me to seek pleasure, to seek quick, fast, instant 
pleasure. You know, a great precursor to being an addict, but it also created a lot of uh, issues at school, and it created a lot of issues socially. I was the kind of person that people would say, "I've had enough. Can you leave now?" You know, and I didn't understand what was going on. I was this kind of like happy, gregarious kid, which you know, at times I still act like I am, and um, and I thought, you know, ow, fuck, like what the fuck, you know. My mom was smart. My mom saw the amount of energy that I had. She strapped skates on me and threw me on the ice. <laughs> and made a career out of it. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, that was taken away from me because of circumstances. And, um, and at that time, there was a start of a breakdown of everything that had temporarily been put in place that could offer me some stability. And then puberty hit, and that all fucking went through the window. So, you know, um, the mess of a violent home, this, this pre-existing ADHD condition, um, no one to listen to me, um, all sorts of questions about sexuality, about identity, about life that weren't being answered, a father that neglected me, a mother that was too busy trying to fight him off. Fuck. You know, the fact that I am here now after having taken myself through the journey that I have with drugs is a fucking miracle, you know. And uh, so um, I uh, came by these resentments very naturally. Um, and, you know... Um, and sometimes it's really difficult to look back, um, but uh, you know I'm I'm here now, and um, a lot has happened between then. I uh, I I first got clean. I was 19. It was so clear to me that from the age of what 12 when I started using that um, I didn't care. I had no goals, no aspirations. I just wanted the shit to stop. I just wanted the noise in my head to stop, the feelings that I didn't fit to stop. I just wanted to keep disappearing is what I remember feeling. Um, I was 13, I OD'd. I remember seeing a bunch of pills and I just took a handful. Didn't think that this would kill me, but I didn't care to know what I was doing. What does that say? You know, um, I failed school. I was a good student, but I was in a high school of 4,000 students, and I started doing dope, and my grades started being affected, and no one thought to talk to my parents, and no parents were around to be talked to, right? They were either drunk or fighting each other off or... So I slipped through the cracks and got by, but never finished high school. I'm the youngest of four whose sister had two degrees by the time I failed high school, whose brothers were both accepted at university at the ages of 16, whose father was 
a diplomat. Um, I was a fuck up. I was a fuck up. I was a failure. I didn't fit. Uh, nobody wanted me. Go away. Um, except when I had dope. There you go. Now it's popular. Because I was creative in finding ways to get money, you know. And, uh, and uh, that's why shit in my life didn't make any sense because I wasn't able to finish school. But give me a project, like get money for dope, and holy shit, I got creative so fast. Um, and I was good at it too. Really good. Um, you know, uh, so life happened, and I used and found ways and means to use more. And I remember the first time I used, I just like just dump a truckload of this shit on my front lawn, and I'll be happy. Thank you very much. And I want nothing else, you know. Uh, while everybody was getting busy with their lives, I said, no, I'm cool. I'm good. Um, but then uh, the family broke up and wound up on welfare. And my mother decided to start dealing with her alcoholism. And um, I was in my last year of high school failing and again, there was nobody around. So, it, you know, I guess what I'm, I'm trying to paint here, um, and I'll try to do it shortly, is that I had real fucking reasons to be angry, real fucking reasons to feel left out, to feel like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Um, at the age of 12, I had questions around sexuality. So... All I had was a phone, okay, and it was back in the days where the phones were. So, I, you know, I just got inappropriately fondled by the adult two streets down, and I'm coming home, and I need to talk about it, so what do I do? I pick up the phone, and I start randomly dialing numbers, because I need to talk. Okay, well, that's a smart kid, right? Um... Somebody would answer, female voice, I'd hang up. Male voice, I'd wait. I so desperately wanted to talk to another man about what the fuck I was feeling that I was prepared to actually put myself through this. Wow, I don't believe I'm telling you guys this. Um, finally, one person stayed on the line with me and through the curiosity kind of started asking questions and I so desperately wanted to talk that I devised a knock code because I couldn't talk, couldn't say these things out loud. Who I dialed was a police psychologist that showed up at my home two days later after tapping the phone, and he was coming to offer help. Uh, this was the 70s. Don't think it was the kind of help I was kind of hoping I'd get. Um, he informed my mother of what I'd done, and she just said to him, my son's not like that, I want you to leave, and left me alone in the living room. So, yeah, you know, a lost kid. What I do remember is this. I put my hand on my heart, and I looked up at the ceiling, and I said, listen, this can't be wrong. What I'm feeling... Like, I'm all alone with this. 
Nobody seems to be around. Nobody wants to answer any of my questions. I'm deciding that this is okay. Right? And that's what I had to do in my life. I had to find decisions and make decisions on my own. And I made a lot of those decisions on my own. And I was going to show everybody that I can, you know, do it. And so don't fucking come and criticize me about my choices if you're not going to goddamn help me, right? That's, that's what built to that place that I got in my life that was like, fuck you, if you're going to come and tell me that I'm doing something wrong. Can you pick up on the anger? You know? And I'm not even in touch with it because I don't want to be in touch with it. I get scared when I get in touch with it. I tried to get clean at 19. I stayed clean for three months, making a decision after a while that, mm, okay, I've had enough of this. Um, I'm only going to do organic shit, right? <laughs> um, that lasted six years. Um, I finally found the rooms of NA because NA didn't exist at the time. This is 1981 when I was 19. Um, I found the rooms of NA in 1990 in Ottawa. And I'm so fucking grateful I did that. Um, I came as a scared, uh, immature, angry, but so passive-aggressive because I'd have a smile on my face. I wanted you guys to like me so much because I finally now socially inept, never walked into a room thinking anyone was going to like... I would cross the street instead of actually walk by you when I saw people coming down the sidewalk, how scared of people I was. So, okay. So, figure skating young gay boy comes into biker Ottawa NA 1990 when it was not politically correct. Yeah. Um, big HIV scare at the same time, too. Yeah, good place to be. Um, and, and I get clean. Yeah, you know, and I'm not telling anybody anything. And, uh, and I'm like, you know, cool and relaxed. And I got this long flowing hair and all the girls kind of like me. And I'm like, okay, this is good. Just hide, you know. Um, but word got around because I had made that decision when I put my hand on my heart that this was not wrong. And although I didn't have to tell you, I didn't hide it. Um, and word got around. And at my third year celebration, I was on the city bus, and uh, a member was on the bus, and he's like, hey, how's it going? It's good. He says, so, how's your disease? And I'm like, what the fuck? What? I said, disease. I said, um, good, thinking, you know, I admitted that I was an addict, and I figured, what the hell? I said, how's yours? <laughs> well, I don't have it. Okay, what the fuck are we talking about? <laughs> You're HIV. And I'm like, what? And I'm like in a city bus full of people and somebody's asking me how I'm dealing with my HIV status. And I'm like, okay, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Um, I'm like, okay, one, um, I really wouldn't have a problem talking to you about this if I had it, but I don't. And two, where the fuck did you hear that? People have been saying that I had HIV. That was the best that some people could do 
in this fellowship with the difficulties that they had that there were some gay people in the fellowship. Now, um, obviously I'm talking about it, so I'm cool with it today. Um, it made me leave N.A. I caught the hugest resentment. Fuck you. Who the fuck are you to tell me that anything I do is wrong and who the hell are you to take my inventory and start spreading rumors about me? That was it. You guys were out. You know. Relapse. And that's the history of my resentments. Which one am I going to use this time to go back out? I'd get two years clean. Come back. I'd go use for four months, five months, because I knew, you know, that I had admitted when I came into the rooms that using didn't work anymore, but living didn't work either, and I knew that before I came in. So what the fuck? I didn't know where to fit. And despite the fact that I had started to open myself and trust, keep coming back, I'd never trusted anybody with anything. So how the hell am I now supposed to trust people that would do this to me? Um, but, you know, HP powered, yeah. I came back, and I tried again. And I got clean and stayed clean for another two years or something like that. Um, and what was it this time? I don't know. OJ got acquitted. I, I fuck. <laughs> I, you know, I really don't know what it was. Um, the let me let me just say that it took up until 2005 for me to stop using these excuses that I could so easily go back to that how I was feeling was your fault because that's what it was. I had been treated the way I did because it was my family's actions. Uh, society didn't understand me, obviously, because, you know, they didn't like it when I stole and they didn't like it when, you know, uh, but had they really known who I was, they'd let me do what I do, but I had a problem with that. Um, school didn't like me. Some of my friends would tell me to leave. It was just fucking mess, and I didn't know where to go. The only place that had a hint of keep coming back was this place. At the end of the day, um, suicidal thoughts, some behavior that was close to it, um, was just getting too much. And I had to at least re-entertain the hope that there was something here. And I kept coming back. And thank God I kept coming back. And thank God for the women in this fellowship that were able to teach me that I was beautiful the way I was and I didn't need to change anything and I didn't need to please anybody. Is this ceiling about the fall? <laughs> There's a squirrel? <laughs> yeah, that's not something you want to say to somebody with ADHD squirrel. <laughs> Fuck. I heard that today. I'm like, oh, fuck, that is so me. Um, you know, thank God for the women in this fellowship because these women that had kind of enamored me into the rooms at first 
knew I was gay and they loved me so much that through trusting them I started learning to trust and then I started entertaining the thought that you were not all assholes dudes sorry you know you were not all the big biker scary fucking homophobic dudes that I'd painted you all to be um, herein lies the real problem with my resentments and where my step fourth, my fourth step, my eighth step um, comes in is that, um, you know, re-feeling, who the fuck does that? Who intentionally re, you know, reapplies, reinserts, reinstigates the feelings of fucking pain willingly? Who the fuck does that? You know, my hands up, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was through staying clean. It was through being loved. It was through working my steps. It was through getting the sponsor that I have that when I want to complain and bitch and whine about how people are treating me today and look for support and, you know, empathy and sympathy, what I end up getting at the other end is, have you ever done that to somebody? I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> fuck. Because inevitably, I've done it all. So, yeah. You know, if I have treated somebody the way I'm being treated, what do I need to do? Forgive them. Why? I want to be forgiven. It's as simple as that for me today. It doesn't come in automatically. It takes sometimes a hell of a long time before I'll actually get there. But today, I eventually get there. You know, my mom passed away four years ago. I was evil incarnate to most of my siblings. They were willing to forgive my father who punched her, slapped her, slashed her, choked her, threw her downstairs, um, made her bankrupt, uh, ridiculed her, embarrassed her in front of her family but they weren't willing to forgive me for having stolen money from her to use. Despite the fact that she had forgiven me, they weren't. And um, at eight years clean, at five years clean, I decided that I wanted to look at what life was gonna look like for my future because I'd never been as clean as that. And uh, I'd entertain the thought that maybe my family would forgive me at some point. So I invited them to my 50-year celebration. That was weird. Um, but, you know, beaming on the sidelines was my mom. My mom would never lose faith. My mom never gave up on me. Everybody else had written me off, but mom never. I still have every little card, every little note um, that she's written to me to remind me that I'm worth it, to remind me that, uh, that she hasn't lost faith. And so I celebrated my, fi my fifth year and I decided then that I was going to pursue a career that I had been enthusiastic about in my youth. Um, but you know, a small gay boy from a hockey town didn't make dresses, so that was gonna fucking happen, right? Um, you know what? 
it's happening. Um, I decided that this is what I was going to do, and I'm a high school dropout. How the hell am I going to do this? So I went back to school, and I put myself through full-time high school, and I graduated. I uh, got myself an apprenticeship to see if this is what I want to do, and uh, I, you know, God, God powered because um, my HP put somebody in my path that actually, after a year, challenged me, uh, invited me, supported me through um, kind of financing me to put a little mini collection together, and I sold five thousand bucks worth in one store the first time. Wow. I'm like, what the fuck? Sold out fashion show. My family was all there. Everybody witnessed it. And I was like, wow, okay. You know. Um, so now what? Well, what about university? So I applied. I got in. I'm like, what the fuck? Okay. Um, then my mom passed away. That was hard. Um... At the end of this uh, little mini collection, uh, reality kicked in that um, you know, left a trail of destruction in my using, uh, which included questionable credit, no reputation enough to get a loan. I had no way to make this clothing that I had already sold because I now had to produce it. Um, to make that first collection that I showed, which were just showpieces, I had to put everything on credit cards. My sister has an MBA. My brother Al has an MBA. Uh, my other brother is a master's in physics. They all have secondary degrees in something else. So I turned to them to help me look at my books and say, you know, how can I do this? My sister's advice was to go delinquent on my visa payments that it was hopeless and that I should give up my dream. And I'm like, and the thing that was really uh, surprising was that the way she did it was that she invited me to her home and left me alone with her husband who took my inventory and berated me for having a cell phone. How the hell can you afford that? And berated me for this and you know what I did? I did what was recommended to do was to just say nothing and listen. I asked for their help. How rude would it be for me to not listen? And I listened. And I heard it. And I went, you're never going to like me. You're never going to accept me. You're never going to see me differently. And at the end, I thanked them. On the ride back, because... I'm a 53-year-old without a driver's license, never had one, never even took the fucking time to try to get a driver's license, which is on my bucket list. Oh, wow, bucket list? Yeah. It's <laughs> kind of scary. Um, on the ride back, my sister said, oh, I was like, so impressed, and now he just sat there and listened. And without a hint of arrogance, which is a miracle for me, I said, you know what? I came and asked for your help. You gave me what you had to offer. Thank you. I'll go home and think about it. 
relationship I had with my mom was as uh, what a tween, preteen, that would have nursed her back from her wounds. I had this unreasonable sense that her happiness was my responsibility because who else is going to save her mom from the big bad wolf, right? But the one who actually got physically in between them. It was a very unhealthy relationship that developed between my mother and I, big codependency. And she knew something was going on. And she asked. And I told her that I can't produce this line of clothing. She asked me what it would take. And I said, uh, you know, I said 3000 bucks. And she said, well, let me look at it. And I'm like, oh, fuck. The history my mom and I had about money. You know, how many times did I go see her and tell her that the wounds that the pipe had done and made in my hands were not from um, being threatened and being uh, tortured for the money that I owed and perfect ruse for her to give me money so that they could stop bullying me, which I just turned around and went and bought more shit with, right? Uh, and that went on for I don't know how many years. So there was a very unhealthy codependent relationship of I'm sick, here's money. But this was different. So I turned to my sponsor before I even asked her and I said, I don't know that I want to do this. And he's like, this isn't the same shit. This is not the same stuff. You're clean. You're working towards a future. If your mother chooses to help you, it's because she wants to be part of that. So she took a month to think about it. And she shows up one day and she's got a $3,000 check for Visa that she's giving to me that we both cried. I deposited it in my account and I went and produced my line of clothing. That following weekend, I got a call from my sister. They found a mass in her colon following Monday, we admitted her to the hospital. That following Tuesday, my sister's in charge of her finances. That following Thursday, I get an email from her after, which I figured out later on, that she had seen, that my mother had written me a check. I'm no longer welcomed in her family. My brother called me a few names told me that I should be ashamed of myself for preying on my mother at her weakest moment. See, there was a date and timeline issue that they didn't think to ask, but that they saw a check go through her account that following week, and it must have meant that I asked my mother for money when she was in her deathbed. She died three weeks later. My sister questioned her about the money. You know what she said? My mom was quite clear that my sister thought I was a criminal, which I did do criminal things. I just have had the fortunateness of not having gotten caught. So at the end of the day, yeah, the courts would see me as a criminal. That's fair, isn't it? Um, but I'm a lot gentler on myself than that. I'm an addict. I know clearly that today the courts have leniency when it comes to people that do shit because they were addicts. So I've got this other area that I think of and put myself in. doesn't mean I'm not accountable, but it does mean that I was not very responsible for my behavior at the time. There is no gray line like that in my family. It's black or white.
Um, my mom knew what my siblings thought about me. And so they thought the best thing to do was to question her when she was like in her deathbed on morphine and jokingly, because she's hallucinating, she said to, uh, to my sister, oh, don't worry about it. I invested in his company, which is like bullshit. I didn't have a company. This is what my sister thought I told my mom. So through a series of miscommunications, I'd been ostracized from any family gatherings from that point on. So you want to talk about copying a resentment, right? The way I'm able to look at it, all that shit today, because um, I have had to find a way to stop crying every fucking night that my mom was dying and I was alone while my siblings were together. that I didn't understand what the fuck I could have done that was so bad. That I did not deserve to be welcomed in the family that I was raised in, no matter how fucking dysfunctional it was. That's the family I came from. And it was just about to lose its primary member. And I couldn't grieve. I literally had to put them aside because I had to focus on my mom. And I did. Um, but it was hell every night after you know spending the day in the hospital with her I'd go home and I'd cry myself to sleep because I didn't believe what the fuck was going on so um, I, I didn't know how to deal with this and I today what, what that looks like for me um, is I wake up and I have an argument in my head with my sister that I'm trying to convince her that I'm not the person she thinks I am or that I'm having, you know, a, a debate with my brother that he's wrong and or, you know, there's nothing worse for me than dead silence and that's what I got from I got no explanation, no side of the story. Um So, yeah, I didn't know what to do with this and still there are times I don't know what to do with this, but at the end of the day, I'm the one left with these horrible feelings that I keep bringing back up. Um, I'm in my second year university. And, um, you know, if you even knew just a little more detail of, of, of my life, you'd really know how much of a fucking miracle this is. Because right in the middle of doing my high school, I received my official ADHD diagnosis and it was only at that time that now a slew of tools became available to me that made university possible. And um, where I get this um, fight inside of me that I'm worth it and that I need to be vocal and ask for the things that I need to be able to get to where I want to get, I have no fucking idea. I don't know if it's... Maybe I'll get to a place where I'm going to be grateful for the oppression that I've experienced as a kid. Maybe I'll get to a place where I'll be grateful for everything that's happened to me, and I'm starting to get there. Um, I, um, God willing, will be 10 years clean December 26th. And 
And I, I'm saying that mainly because I am just starting to touch on healing those parts in my life that have been taking me down. I've been walking around 10 years with the feeling that there is something wrong at the core of me when there isn't anything wrong with me. I'm just an addict. A uh, couple of other disorders and letters at the end. And, you know, had to talk about it and I'm talking about it and I'm still talking about it and whatever. Um, but what I'm m mainly grateful for today is that um, as a recovering addict that works an honest program to the best of his ability um, and has a loving relationship with members in this room and a sponsor uh, that I wouldn't change for the world, um, I take what I read and what I listen to in these rooms seriously and what has helped me today with resentments are the lines that we are responsible for our recovery not for our disease so forget about why what's happened just accept that it's happened and how do we deal with it I can only take responsibility for what I'm doing to me there's nobody hurting me today there's nobody doing what they did to me as a kid there's nobody yelling at me because I got away from them why is it still in my head it's because I'm willingly doing that to myself and now I see that today how do I deal with that forgive I must forget I'll never but forgive I must I have to try and remind myself that that's the solution to this right and how the hell am I going to do this well gee okay how did I forgive my father he's an alcoholic he would go into blackouts Okay, what, this is where my sponsor comes in. Have you ever done that? Have I ever blacked out? Fuck yeah. Have I ever done shit that's been criminal, irresponsible, amoral? Fuck yeah. Shameful? Yeah. What do I want? I want to be forgiven. Okay. Before I can be forgiven, golden rule. I've got to offer it. I've got to be willing to offer it. I don't, I'm not around my father. I can't see my father. I spend one day with my father. I have nightmares of people throwing grenades at me. That's the way it is. That's called PTSD. I acknowledge that today. I am so cool with that today. So, no, you're not coming back in my life. Do I love my father? I don't know yet. I don't know yet. I don't know yet. Um, but do I forgive him? Hell yeah. You're done. You know. Now I'm working on forgiving my siblings. Because guess what? You're the fucked up one. You've had it worse than us. You know, those messages I got from them as a kid? Lies. Yeah, what's the best way to not deal with the shit you're dealing with? Is point to somebody else's shit. Scapegoating. It took me years to learn that that's a natural coping skill for kids in the violent homes is get great grades and point to the one that's fucking up. Hello? <laughs> they do it to, they tell me who they are today. 
I got I got one brother that I'm in uh, good relations with, and I got a text from him. Just visited my just visited mom's grave. You know how much I hate doing that. I don't like feeling those feelings. There it is. They see me. They have to acknowledge that there was dysfunction. Because fuck, I've tried to kill myself all my life. I wasn't able to get school. I wasn't able to get what is it? The 3.2 house, the 2.4 kids, the 1.2 cars, whatever. And they have it all. And to me, I loved what I heard uh, our, our main speaker talk about that reading in step 12, I think, 11, about uh, accumulations, about how we don't need to have a relationship. We don't need to have outside stuff define us. We don't need those things to make us happy. Um, if I close my eyes and I've had a good day. I'm happy, you know. So why do I want somebody to willingly take that away from me, which is what I do any time I entertain the thought of bringing back an old feeling, an old memory. PTSD dictates that it'll come back when it wants, but my job is to be able to slow myself the fuck down enough so that I could catch it love myself enough to be able to stop it and say, you know what? And I know my sponsor is a gift from God because the man has patience with me. I've been on step eight for a year and a half and it's not going anywhere because I'm stuck on that list of resentments. So why am I being asked to speak here on this? I guess I need to get back to my eighth step work. Fuck! I don't want to do that. So um, one last little bit, and uh, this will give you a little bit of my beautiful um, mind frame on this, is um, I was diagnosed with leukemia last year. Yeah, I know, sucks. Um, but it's the good kind. What the fuck? That's, <laughs> that's what they said to me. I'm like, I'm not there yet. You know, slow it down. Um, <laughs> so... Um, I went for chemo in December. I'm having a surreal moment right now sharing that with you guys because it's still sometimes like not real. And uh, I had some pretty serious side effects from that. I developed sepsis, which is a blood infection, pneumonia. Uh, I caught an intestinal superbug. I had a severe reaction to these three fucking... I've never been an IV user, and here I am in bed with like stereo fucking antibiotics I'm like what the fuck um, and three weeks of that the day after they release me I'm back at Toronto and I'm about to start school what the fuck you know um, I just finished my second year and I got some pretty decent grades despite the fact um, and it is the good kind there's a 95% remission rate and I'm back on the upswing and what would this look like if I was using, you know? What would this look like if I still used those resentments as excuses to go back out there and harm me because I needed to show you what you did to me? So um, on that note, I'm a very grateful recovering addict. Thanks.
motivation. 